see, old friend. I brought more soldiers than you did. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. And great segment from our last guest, uh, Vanessa Beely, uh, live from Beirut. And uh, we're going to be joined now by our next guest. Uh, we've got a live link right now uh, to Aleppo. And our next guest, uh, he is, uh, he's an independent witness, uh, and he's also covering events. On the front line in Aleppo, his name is Tom Duggan. Tom, are you there? Hello, Patrick. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, Tom Duggan is joining us now. Tom, if you would just want to introduce yourself uh, to our listeners, uh, I know you, and tell us, uh, you know, what you do, where you are, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about what you've seen in the last uh, day. I know you've had a very interesting trip up to Aleppo. Well, my name's Tom Duggan. I come from Newcastle, uh, Northern England. I'm married to a Syrian girl, and I've been in Syria for four years, and I've witnessed all sorts of things that Western media don't do stories on. At this moment in time, I traveled in to Aleppo via their industrial plant, which was the biggest industrial plant in the Middle East. It was desolated. It was like a post apocalyptic nuclear bomb had fell. We passed many unexploded hell cannon, which are gas canisters, uh, propane type with fins on that are filled with all sorts of rusty nails and things like that, littering the site. Um, it was just desolation everywhere. And then you enter the city of Aleppo and it's a complete change. You're on the government side of the lines. There's a thriving community. I'm standing outside a cafe at the moment and the mosque is calling people to prayer. And it's just beautiful. Electricity's on. People are thriving, walking back and forward, enjoying themselves, sitting down, playing cards, eating, and a different atmosphere altogether. Um, the Syrians have a, an expression. This is Syria. We live and we die the way we live. So basically, that's the beginning of the story. We're going to be doing um, frontline work. We have permission to visit five front lines in the Aleppo area. We're also going to be speaking to the head mullah and the bishop uh, to compare what's going on because there's unity be between both religions in the government side. And we're talking to the hospital directors and ministers um, on the cooperation between the business sector, the private health sector, and the government-run hospitals because, like every infrastructure in war, it gets destroyed, and they're working hard to keep the people of the level alive. You can hear the artillery going off in the background, I would imagine. Yes. Did you catch that? Yeah, a little bit of sound. So, yeah. Yeah. We've, um, the two ambulances passed by over the last 30, 40 minutes. 
Um, people are still on the streets. Syrian people are extremely brave. They, they remind me, sometimes I feel like Ed Burroughs, the, the American reporter who covered the East End of London during the Blitz, because even in Damascus, people stop and then they carry on with life. They have that sort of, how could I say, cockney spirit mm, at yes. the time of the Blitz. Yes. And I, um, I love Damascus, as I say. I've been here four years. This is my first time in Aleppo. I wish I had seen Aleppo before the war because the destruction was devastating. You, you wouldn't believe. It was like Stalingrad. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I could describe it, Stalingrad. Yes. But at this moment in time, I'm walking past communities. There's a young boy just past me carrying bread. There's a young man just staring at me strange because he's had my English accent. And um, we're standing outside what, we, what you would call pomfrets, a fish and chip shop type thing. And um, we're having a great time. And uh, and just just yeah. c- compare the, uh, the 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 situation in terms of uh, security in Damascus and Aleppo. Um, compare those two situations. Is it uh, what what is it is the security uh, more sort of uh, mil- militarized in in Aleppo than Damascus? Because I know Damascus has been under heavy shelling as well um, consistently. Well, I was shelled in Damascus two days ago. It landed behind. The- my apartment, and um, how can I put it? I lost two friends. You had one of the one of the, the young girl on the phone the other night. There, you were speaking to her. Yes, Ava introduced you to her. Yeah, um, I did a film for Serene TV on that um, restaurant, and while I was there, they shelled two houses um, in the poor district of Damascus in Baptuma, uh, 11 children were injured and um, it, it's, it's so destroying because they know exactly where they're aiming they've done it for five years so they have a, a, a reference point they know exactly where the shell is going to land or the mortar round is going to land it's not indiscriminate it's premeditated mm-hmm. and coming in today I watched Syrian workers rebuilding the road because we traveled in on a dirt track, something I would compare to a desert road or a farm road that you would see in America. And it was littered with um, damaged cars, tankers which were blowing up. And the Syrian people just carry on. They have this ingenuity about them where they adapt. I've just watched two men repairing a motorbike using a pair of pliers and a screwdriver and they didn't have a spanner they repaired it uh, but just they adapt they overcome and they survive and i have nothing but respect for the syrian people i traveled in with um a coachload of civilians which had soldiers on board coming back from leave i spent the day with a captain in the syrian army and a low rank, what we would call a trooper or a private, and there's another one just gone. And basically, they all have the same opinion. They're fighting for their country. They're fighting for their wives, their family, their children. It's not to do with religion. It's to do with your family. All the 
terrorists that are coming are foreign. The Gulf, Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Bangladesh. There's only the Syrian army that is doing any good in the world against global terrorism. And I'm sorry to say that. I'm ashamed to say that. The only people I see fighting is the Syrian army, and they fight with they're like lions. It's their country. They're not going to give it up. Yeah, and uh, and just just also tell us, um, you know, in, in terms of uh, you know the the, the army and uh, oh, sorry, and the military. Um, how how's the how's the spirit level? Um, you know the uh, oh, they're like lions. The, the, the morale level is extremely high. Um, I, I'll say this: we're fighting against the best weapons that money can buy. Right? All those terrorist groups have a large amount of money. They've got M16s, Heckler and Koch. They've got the latest weapons available, um, anti-tank weapons, everything like that. The Syrian soldier is armed with an AK-47. An AK-47 was designed in 1947. It's not the rifle. It's the man behind the rifle. And the Syrian soldier, in my opinion, my humble opinion, is one of the greatest fighters I've ever seen. Mm. It's that simple. And they've got the morale, they've got the spirit. Because if they lose, they face execution, torture, they, the families are enslaved to something that they don't want to be enslaved to. Their life changes, people are forced to wear religious clothing, um, remove makeup. The women in Syria are among the most modern women I've ever met. They have free education, free hospitals before the war, free education, free hospitals. The woman has the right to go to university. Um, my wife's a lawyer. They have the same legal rights as men. That will all change. Mm -hmm. So the women are as brave as what the men are. I have nothing but respect for the Syrian people, mm -hmm. and I mean that deeply. And so this is uh, Tom Tom Duggan speaking to us from the streets of West uh, Aleppo right now. And, and Tom, just how uh, the fighting has been going on now for uh, about a week uh, in this sort of to, to retake key parts of uh, eastern Aleppo from terrorist-held areas, or uh, moderate yeah. rebel is referred to by the West, but terrorist-held areas. How, how is the... How is the yeah, just explain to us updates. What have you heard on how it's going? Right. Right. There's five separate front lines around Aleppo, right? And each front line is a battle against a separate terrorist organization, Al-Nusra, IS, and other organizations, smaller organizations. We'll be visiting every front line this week. I'm here for five days. We're filming. I'll be doing recordings, interviews with the soldiers, both on video and on audio. So I'm not going to comment at the moment, but what I will say is the reception I have had from the Syrian people here has been tremendous. They come over, they shake your hand, they ask you what you're doing, they thank you for supporting them. They're beautiful people. I married one. So... <laughs> I'm slightly biased in that opinion. I will admit that. But okay. basically, 
they're just the beautiful people. Yeah. And I'll do whatever it takes. And I'm not going to tell lies when I'm out here. I'm going to tell you the truth. And whatever Al Jazeera or Gulf States say, I'm going to see for myself and basically tell the world what I see. That's how simple it is. Have you had a chance to look at Western media coverage of Syria? Uh, we're talking about, you know, maybe the BBC or CNN or some of the, or Al Jazeera. Have you had a chance to see over the last few years how it's being covered? And if so, what? Oh, yes. And what, what's your feeling Ain't about Parnell's that? Docu- Ain Parnell's documentary, uh, The Children of Syria. Okay. Totally fake, right? Um, the gas attack that. Um, originally sparked the American and English attempt to go to war with Syria. Um, That wasn't the government. I looked into that when I first came. And that was only a few kilometers from where I live, right? Um, The other thing is I changed my state of mind when two schools were hit in 2014, two junior schools, and there was about 50 children injured and killed. At one point, we were we had to put a white blanket on because we couldn't match the limbs to the ch- to the dead children, and we put it all in one blanket. BBC were in the French hospital, which is in Kistar, and they didn't report it. And then I spoke to Ava, ooh, about six months ago, and she said, "Oh, they reported it, but they didn't say it was Al Nusra." They said it basically it was a shell. And I know it was Al Nusra because a shell is like a drop of water or a drop of blood. It leaves a track. Yeah. So when a shell comes in, it comes in at an angle. You get less impact on the angle it comes in at and more impact on the outward spread of the shrapnel. So I can tell just by looking at a shell where it's come from, looking at the the impact area, where it's actually come from. And them shells came from Joba. And I can give you another example. I was in the maternity ward, and my niece, well, my godchild was being born, uh, 20 minutes old, and Al Nusra shelled the French hospital, and especially the maternity ward. Me and several men were carrying children through the corridors, Newborn infants, some an hour old, some 20 minutes old, and they didn't know I was English. We get downstairs, we had a cup of coffee afterwards, nobody was killed, the curtains were ripped, um, some windows were burrowed, out, and um, two Syrian jet fighters came in and took out the artillery piece because they flew over the hospital, and then there was a bang, and the artillery finished. But... They didn't know I was English, and they were talking, and one said something to me, and I said, kill Arabia, I don't speak Arabic. And next thing I know, everyone wanted to buy me a coffee, they would pat me on the back, and I was humbled. I did nothing more than what they did, but three of them asked me to be Godfather, their child. That's Syrian people for you, that's unreal. Yeah. Wow. And so you... you know, so, so and, and, and this is, um, and so you've seen uh, so many of these scenes like this over the last few years, Tom. And I mean, I, 
I, I can't imagine what it's like to you know to come to the country at this at this time at the same time that this conflict is unfolding. Um, it's certainly been quite an experience for you. I can imagine, or I can't imagine actually, um, how much that you've had to process in the last four years as this is going on and as you're getting used to this uh, your new home um, per se. But um, it's it's it certainly sounds like uh, it's been an extraordinary experience. I'm staying in Syria as long as the Syrian people allow me and as long as the Syrian government allow me. I have no intention of leaving Syria. I can't leave Syria because basically I came home to England for a two months and I couldn't look myself in the face. I just couldn't look in the mirror to shave because I was listening to my friends on Facebook saying this was blowing up, somebody had died and everything else. So me and my wife came back. And I'm, I have to stay here until the end. I have to see this out. It's um, They're fighting over 80, 80 different nationalities here. Mm-hmm. And this is their country. As far as IS is concerned, Islamic State, there is no Islamic State in Syria. It is the state of Syria. It's already an Islamic country. The mere fact that is the difference between ethnic groups, Shia and Sunni, and Christian. But 85%, 90% of the country is as follows Islam, whether it be Shia or Sunni. It's their country. They own this country. It's their country. It's not Islamic State. It's not Al Nusra. It's not Al Sham. It's their country. And they have the right to defend their country. Turkey's invaded, killing the Kurds. The Amer- Americans are saying they're going to shoot down Russian jets. It's absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. Why do you want to shoot down Russian jets for? Why do you want an air corridor? It's nothing to do with America. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. This is their country, and they have the right to defend their country. And... and um and, and do you do you also get a sense, uh, and w- which I get a sense, that uh, this, Syria as a nation, uh, that people consider themselves to be Syrian first, Syrians, and then secondly, whatever their ethnic or religious uh, faction might be, come secondary to the fact that they are Syrian first. Is this the impression you get? Oh, yes, yes. I, I, the general election for when President Bashar won the election, I was there. I was in Qasar. And BBC in the West said, oh, it was all fixed. It was um, rigged, right? I watched people coming out of the houses under fire. There was nearly 150 rockets and shells landed in that area. And they came out of the houses and voted. People in America and England won't go to the voting polls if it's raining. People don't come out of the house under fire to vote for someone they don't want. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It's not logical, right? And the BBC said, it's rigged. Well, I was there. I was with two police officers helping people, old people, cross the road. And I witnessed it. I spent three hours there sitting, drinking coffee, and there was no fraudulent taking place. There was nobody coming in twice. I checked everybody's hand because everybody who voted got a blue or a black mark on the finger, depending on what ink they had available, right? Nobody came in. But BBC, 
they said, rigged. There's, there's so many lies about Syria. This is the problem. So many myths. Right? These are just people like you and me. That's all they are. They're, they don't force people to wear the, the burqa or hijab. It's their choice. I see Muslim women with their hair blown in the wind. They don't have to wear it if they don't want to. Right? I see Christian women. The women here are as well-dressed as anything you'll see in Paris, New York, or France, or England. They, they enjoy their femininity. And if Syria loses, the women are the ones that are going to suffer the most. Their femininity will be taken away, and they'll be forced to do whatever they're told to do. And that's wrong. I've always been involved in my way of thinking of women empowerment. Over the next 20 years, there's going to be a shortage of males in Syria because most of them are dead. Mm-hmm. Most of the youth of Syria is, is dead or have left the country. And those who have left the country will start new lives for themselves in Germany, Canada, or wherever, join into the community, integrate, have children. So Syria is going to be in the same position as Germany and Russia after the Second World War. Shortage of manpower. Mm-hmm. Women will get better jobs, have more empowerment. They'll be directors. They'll be professionals. It's the only way Syria is going to survive. Syrians are great at surviving. I've watched them for four years. What they can't do with shell or bullets, they'll do economically. The dollar is destroying Syria. People, I don't know how to survive. The wages aren't going up. There's no cost of living rise or anything like that. Um, the average wage for a professional is about 50,000 Syrian pounds. If you compare that to a thousand dollars a month, which is around about 650,000, you get the comparison. Wow. So they live because of family. It's family that's important to Syrian people. My apartment's like Grand Central Station. Brother-in-law coming in, mother-in-law, father-in-law, all the family mixes. Uh, any occasion, family's there. It's family that are helping these people. People who aren't working. I've got an interview with a guy tomorrow. No, sorry, not tomorrow, the next day. He had 25,000 employees at Aleppo. All the factories are destroyed. This guy, for the last three, four years, has been paying the salary. Wow. That's how many Western How many Western businessmen would do that? None. <laughs> That's yeah. incredible. Um, so I'll be interviewing him. I'll put it on to audio as well. I'll send you a copy of the audio if you want it. Oh, we'll um, definitely we'll we'll broadcast that for sure, Tom. Anything anything that you've got audio, we'll we'll rebroadcast for you. That's great. Um, is there anything else you want to ask me? Well, I, uh, the, one of the last things I wanted to ask our last guest uh, last week, uh, Gurfan uh, Darwin, she was talking about you know how that there's good relations between uh, Christians and Muslims in Syria, where Muslims will even pray in churches or sometimes, or vice versa, that there's no uh, sectarian 
issue, um, and that sectarian issue exists outside in in these kind of uh, uh, enclaves that are being promoted by the West and and so forth. You know, what's what's been your observations about that interfaith and um, in interreligious relationships? I was shocked four years ago. I came over just before Christmas, and I went to a church, and 50% of it was Muslim. Um, sitting looking at Jesus Christ, the lights, listening to the hymns, the choir. I went to the oldest church in Damascus, which is an underground church, uh, where they used to hide the church from the Romans, with the sign of the fish, full of Muslims. Right? I go to a mosque, there's Christians there. Everywhere I go, there is, it's illegal in this country to be, to stigmatize someone for their religion. But it doesn't have to be illegal because my friends are Christians, Muslims, Sunni, Shia. I've got Sufi friends. Um, I'm sitting with people now. One's Halloween, the other one's Sunni, right? Gahwan is Shia. She's a very, very close friend of mine, and I love her very much. She's a very, very intelligent young lady, and she speaks the truth. She's always spoken the truth as far as I'm concerned, and I agree totally with what she says. This is a multicultural society that's integrated for over 5,000 years. It's the oldest civilization on the planet. Did you know that? No, I know. That was the oldest civilization? No, no, I didn't know that. And, yeah. And Kassoon Mountain, the mountain in Damascus, the main, it stands out everywhere you go, Kassoon Mountain. That uh, has the first crime in history on it, Cain and Abel. That's where Cain and Abel were. And um, also, you have Eve used to visit a cave there to speak to God. It's full of history. You go to a Maya mosque, and a Maya mosque was originally the Temple of Jupiter, which is a Roman temple. It then became um, John the Baptist's church, and then when Saladin came, it became a mosque. But if you go into a Maya mosque, in the far corner, there's still the font that John the Baptist used to baptize people. This is a country that's steeped in religion, but they don't argue about religion or fight about religion. It's a taboo subject. They, they accept you for what you are. And I love these people. And there's no one going to destroy these people as long as I'm alive. That's how I feel. Well, that's, uh, thank you for that. Um, thank you for that. Thank you for that observations and, and your thoughts on that, Tom. It's fantastic to hear, uh, to hear this as well. Uh, it's what many others have said on this show and, uh, and other commentators as well that we've been talking to. So, but, um, just uh, a quick word before you go. Yeah. You've had Ava Barthas on, you've had Vanessa Bailey. Yep. Both are friends of mine, right? Um, I spent time with both of them. That's a wedding procession going by at the moment. The Syrians beep their horns when they're on the way to a wedding. So life goes on. But Vanessa Bailey and Ava Bartlett, anything they tell you, I can confirm it's the truth. They are 
journalists without exception. Unlike other journalists who write stories from Beirut or New York or London without ever coming to Syria or ever meeting Syrian people, Ava and Vanessa have spent time with the Syrian people and they understand the Syrian people. So there's a big difference. You need to come to this country and see for yourself before you write about it. Don't listen to your master's voice because your master's voice will give you 30 pieces of silver at the end of each month. If you understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. Well, um, it's, it's easy to be a paid journalist, but when you get real journalists, and I class Ava and Vanessa as real journalists who are crusading journalists, and I hate using that word crusading in a Muslim country for obvious <laughs> reasons, but they, they carry the flag, okay? Um, as far as journalism is concerned, these two people are outstanding, and I have nothing but respect for them. But as you've heard tonight, we've had shelling, and we've had a wedding possession go by. <laughs> so life still goes on. Yeah, right? indeed. Indeed. So uh, great, great, to, great to talk to you, Tom, and uh, great to hear the sights and sounds of West Aleppo uh, in the background there. We can only imagine what's going on by listening, um, but it's, it's, definitely, it's, definitely <laughs> it's definitely a lot going on. It's a thriving community. It's Syrians, they, they come out at night time, they're, they're night people. They work all day, they go home, they sleep a couple of hours and they come out. The, the streets, this is Aleppo, there's cars everywhere, there's people walking by me, pedestrians, there's people eating. This is not a defeated people. There's no defeat in Aleppo. Aleppo is a bit like Sparta at the moment. This is Aleppo, basically. They'll fight to the last ounce they've got. The last ounce of strength, I like lying. So that's West. That's Western Aleppo, ladies and gentlemen. This is uh, this is the kind of the government-held uh, area where people are. Majority of the people are 1.5 million people there. That's not being reported on uh, the Western news, who tend to focus on Eastern Aleppo, which is a terrorist-held area with only two, about 250. 220,000 people remain, uh, many of which are coddled by terrorist organizations currently fighting uh, against the Syrian Arab army, which are trying to retake eastern Aleppo uh, in this in this battle, this historic battle, this next few weeks. So, but um, Tom, I really appreciate your time and uh, and also the work that you do. Uh, it's commendable. And uh, uh, to all our listeners, on behalf of our listeners, I say thank you very much. And to stay safe and take care. And we hope to speak to you again, hopefully later this week. I hope so, Patrick. And thank you for your time and thank you for your listeners for listening. No, that's, uh, that's our pleasure, Tom. That's our pleasure. Have a good night and do take care. I will do, sir. Tom Duggan. Thanks, Tom. Tom Duggan, ladies and gentlemen, he's there uh, reporting as a live link from the front line in Aleppo. Uh, we're going to take a short station break with ACR, and we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Stay right there. Better. Stronger. Faster. 